Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to continue in our study of the book of Daniel. This will be study number one of Daniel chapter two. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Daniel 2, verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If he will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, You shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if ye show the dream, and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts, and rewards, and great honor. Therefore show me the dream, and the interpretation thereof. They answered again, and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered, and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me, till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king, and said, There is not a man upon the earth, that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler, that asks such things at any magician, or astrologer, or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. And there is none other that can show it before the king, except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious, and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. And I'll stop reading there. Now, in this true historical account, in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, in the time when God had given up the nation of Judah to an evil kingdom, Babylon, ruled by an evil king, King Nebuchadnezzar, there was a night in which King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. And like many of us, when you you dream, you have no control over the dreams. And, and so when you awake, sometimes the dream is gone. And that's what it means. Uh, when it says that he dreamed dreams and, and he 
woke up and he could not know the dream. He couldn't remember the dream. The dream had departed from him. And, you know, occasionally this has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. And maybe the dream was troubling in some way. And so you're trying to remember, what was it that I dreamed that that disturbed me? And and you 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 try to think and think and and you are around the edges of it maybe, but you can't put your hands on you you can't pinpoint what the dream was, and so you forget about it. It's just a dream. But in this case, King Nebuchadnezzar was very troubled of mind. His mind could not just relax and settle. This was disturbing him. And we know why he was so troubled. Because this dream came from God. And the fact that it's in the Bible, that it's found here in the book of Daniel, that first of all, the the whole night that he had is recorded. and, And when the dream went from him, God recorded that. And all the events that are taking place. And then finally... God had Daniel tell him the dream and interpret the dream, and it's recorded in the Bible. So the dream came from God. It, it's a part of divine revelation. And, and that's why more than a typical dream that people have, that men have, that is not from God, There was something special about this dream. And even though he didn't know what it was, he he didn't know even what the dream was, he knew he had to know. He had to know what it was that he had dreamed because um, there was a special significance to it. And so that's the reason for this reaction. Well, in verse 1 of Daniel 2, It says, and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. The Hebrew word translated as troubled is 6470 in the concordance, Strong's Concordance. And it's the same word that we find in Genesis 41, in verse 8, regarding Pharaoh, who also had a dream that was from God. Now, the, the difference is that Pharaoh could remember his dream, but still it disturbed him. It says in Genesis 41, beginning in verse 7, And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream, and it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. And just like King Nebuchadnezzar, the wise men of Babylon are called, and magicians and astrologers And they're unable to interpret the dream. Well, Joseph is brought forth out of prison because he 
uh, is able to interpret. It's a gift God has given him. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. In Babylon, it's Daniel, another true believer, that is finally able to interpret the dream. The same Hebrew word, 6740, is also used in Judges chapter 13. In Judges 13, I'll begin in verse 24 and also read verse 25. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and Jehovah blessed him. And the Spirit of Jehovah began to move him. The word move is the same word translated as trouble. The Spirit of Jehovah began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. And we know that Samson was a man of God. He had some problems in his life, but he was a true child of God. And God began to move him, to trouble him. Now, that's interesting that this word translated as trouble uh, is also translated as moved. Because in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, it says in John chapter 5, when Jesus found a man at at a pool. Uh, I'll read from verse 1 of John 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And and here we see that the moving of the water is also called troubling of the water. And, and it's done by an angel or a messenger of God. There, There is activity in the water. It's really a spiritual reference because whoever goes into the water first afterwards is healed. It's a picture of salvation that results after the troubling of the water. And, and so here, um, King Nebuchadnezzar is troubled because he has received divine revelation. Now, I know that Nebuchadnezzar, and, and the Bible's clear about it, was an unsaved man. He, he was a very wicked man. And even in this passage, what is his reaction to his servants not being able to interpret the dream? Well, I'll, I'll cut you in pieces and make your houses a dunghill. They're, they're, is no question when we read about King Nebuchadnezzar that he was unsaved, he was an evil man. And and yet, you know, surprisingly, but it is the case, God is giving him divine revelation. God is giving Nebuchadnezzar a dream that is coming forth from God. 
Now, it doesn't mean that he was saved or became saved at any point. God is able to use people to communicate his word uh, at various times. It, it's uh, within God's ability to do. It, it's his right to do. He can, man, all men are his creatures. And if he wants to use an unsaved individual to deliver a certain part of the word of God, whether a small part or a larger part, that's the Lord's prerogative. It, it's according to his will. And we can know that Nebuchadnezzar received divine revelation because it says Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. And, and that language of dreaming dreams relates to what we read in Joel chapter 2. It says in verse 28, And shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and and so forth. So uh, now there's a spiritual application to to this uh, scripture. It has to do with declaring the word of God and and prophesying that way. But still, God is using that language of dreaming dreams. It It's the language of Pharaoh. If we go back to Genesis 41, in verse 14, Pharaoh has the dream. Um, it says in verse 11, actually, where, where the butler was telling Pharaoh his faults. And he said, we dreamed a dream in one night. I and he, the butler and the baker. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And the butler was established again in his butlership, and the baker was hanged after three days. So then, in verse 14 of Genesis 41, after being told there was a man in prison who could interpret the dream, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh and Pharaoh said unto Joseph I have dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it and I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it Pharaoh dreamed a dream and again it was divine revelation it's in the Bible it, it it's recorded. We we know exactly the dreams Pharaoh dreamed. He he dreamed of um, seven fat kind swallowed up by seven skinny kind. He dreamed of seven full and uh, good ears of corn swallowed up by seven thin ears of corn, and and God recorded the dreams. So they were divine revelation. In the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 7, I think this will clearly show how God is able to use any any man. He can even use animals like Balaam's donkey to bring divine revelation as the Lord put words in the donkey's mouth. Or he can use Balaam 
to bring divine revelation. As we find in the book of Numbers, there's a couple of chapters dealing with a false prophet named Balaam, and and he goes to attempt to curse Israel, and instead blessing comes forth and God records his words. And it, it is demonstrating the Lord is sovereign. God is sovereign as he compiled his word. God, yes, for the most part, used those individuals that he had saved, true prophets, to be the scribes, to to be the instrument by which he wrote the Bible. But not always, not always, and in some instances, like here in Judges chapter 7, very clearly, God moved an individual to declare something. Now, of course, he's not the writer of the book of Judges, but still it's recorded that this is what the person received from God. In Judges 7, uh, beginning in verse 9, Gideon is told, And it came to pass the same night that Jehovah said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host. For I have delivered it into thine hand. Now Gideon is concerned because even though God has already given him some signs that this is what he's to do, yet he only has 300 men. And, you know, you have a whole huge host in the scores of thousands that are below you and God is commanding you to go forth with them to battle. And so anyone would would wonder, well, how is this possible? How is it possible that 300 can defeat tens of thousands and, and perhaps a hundred or more thousand enemy soldiers? And, and, and so God's going to encourage him. And, and let him know that, that yes, you're only 300, but I'm with you. And, and so he tells Gideon to go down to this enemy host. And he tells Gideon that, uh, get thee down to battle to the host. And then in verse 10, but if thou fear to go down, go thou with Pura, thy servant, to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say. And afterward shalt thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pura his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. Okay, let's uh, go down to verse 13. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. Notice, notice the similarity with that statement. I dreamed a dream and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along and his fellow answered and said this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon the son of Joash a man of Israel for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel, 
and said, Arise, for Jehovah has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Well, of course, he he was now excited and and encouraged because God had confirmed it to him. Just imagine, here here's a whole camp of enemy soldiers, and, and that's what these two men in their tent were. A whole camp, just just a large army, a huge army. And, and, and God tells you, go down into the camp. And he went down into the camp. And as far as we know, he, he wasn't told which tent to go to, but he just goes down into the camp and he approaches this one tent. And it so happens that a man is telling another man about a dream he dreamed. I dreamed a dream. And, the fellow answers and interprets the dream and actually uses Gideon's name. And not only does he use Gideon's name, but he he knows he's the son of Joash, a, a man of Israel, and that God will deliver Midian and all the host into his hand. Can you imagine that? That's almost as amazing as the time when when Jesus had one of the disciples uh, uh, cast a line into the sea and and the first fish you pull up will have a coin in uh, that's sufficient to pay our tax and uh, with all the fish that are in the sea and and swimming around uh, the Lord Jesus eternal God is in such control of all things and all circumstances that he can arrange for that one fish that has the sufficient payment for their tax to be right in the spot the line is cast and to be taken up at that precise moment. It is really an incredible testimony to the awesome power of God to control this this entire world and and all the things that have been set in motion within the world with mankind with animals with the uh, with everyone speeding by one another and it was that way of old as Gideon and his servant went down to the tent and at that moment if the man had said i had a dream 5 minutes earlier or 5 minutes later Gideon wouldn't have heard it but at that moment, that precise moment, he is revealing a dream and another is answering, interpreting the dream for the audience that God knew would be there of Gideon. And it, it really, uh, you know, God is an incredible God. His, his brilliance, his infinite brilliance and, and the, the enormous um ability of his mind uh, all all the the power and might that he possesses it it really stands out in little incidents like this yes god we know can uh part the red sea and he can cause the walls of jericho to fall down and and he can uh, bring plagues upon Egypt and, and bring the mightiest nation in the world to its knees. We, we hear all the great things God does and, 
and we sort of just uh, are well we're amazed at that too but we expect that and and then when we see these little details that that God's in control of as well it, it really is something all right so going back to Daniel chapter 2 we see Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream and wherewith his spirit was troubled that's further confirmation that the dream is from God, just like the troubling of the water, the moving of the water. Uh, Samson was moved at certain times. So this dream is coming from God, and his sleep break from him. The word break just means went. It, it's gone. His, his sleep went from him. Then in verse 2, um, it says, Then the king commanded to call the magicians, and the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled. That's the same word troubled as in verse 1. To know the dream. My spirit is troubled to know the dream. And we, again, we wonder why. Why? Uh, historically we know why historically we understand it, it could happen to any man any person you have a dream and you want to know the dream especially in this case when it's it's something that came from god yes like pharaoh we understand but spiritually spiritually we wonder why he's troubled and why he wants to understand the dream. Because it is coming from God. And the reason we have that question spiritually is because of who Nebuchadnezzar represents. Uh, we, we know from Isaiah chapter 14, and we've mentioned this before, but uh, th- this is the link, the spiritual association that ties Nebuchadnezzar to Satan. It says in Isaiah 14, verse 4, that thou shalt take up this proverb or parable, is what proverb means, against the king of Babylon, and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. So it's a parable against the king of Babylon. And in this context, We read in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And this passage relates to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, the language regarding the man of sin, who is Satan. Uh, so we can see not only that Nebuchadnezzar is an evil king, ruling over an evil empire, and, and that alone would typify him as Satan, but God clearly makes the identification in Isaiah 14 
that it's, he's a parable. He's a proverb. Nebuchadnezzar is a proverb that that he represents spiritually. He's a type and figure of Satan, of not only Satan, but especially Satan at the time of the end when he takes his seat in the temple, showing himself that he is God. As the Babylonians, and he's the king of Babylon, are the nation God used to overcome Judea and and to take the people of God captive back to Babylon. Well, that figures the time of the Great Tribulation when Satan would be loosed and he would overcome the camp of the saints, and, and then eventually God would open the scriptures to reveal the command of the end of the church, and, and that the people of God were to flee out of the churches and go into the world Babylon. And and, and so when we look at it um, in several different ways, we, we can see that Nebuchadnezzar is a type of Satan, especially as he rules at the end of time. Well, that that's why the question. First of all, why is Satan concerned with these dreams? Why is he concerned with these dreams if they're coming from God? It, it would be the word of God. And, uh, you know, it reminds us of a verse in the New Testament, in First um, Peter chapter 1, it says in verse 12, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels, or uh, Satan and, and the fallen angels, uh, were angels. And, and they're fallen angels, but they're still angels. And they desire to look into the things of the Word of God. We, we know that Satan has some understanding of even um, the parables of the Bible. He, he has some understanding of the things of the word of God. And the angels in that case would desire to look into the possibility of, of the gospel. But no, there is no possibility for them. Um, the Lord Jesus took upon him the seed of Abraham and not not any angels. God did not make provision for the salvation of any of the fallen angels. But uh, again, the the angels do have interest in the things of God, in the word of God. And Satan has special interest in this case because uh, Nebuchadnezzar, a figure of Satan, is the one receiving the dream. And who is the dream about? Well, if we look further on in Daniel 2, we're told... As Daniel finally is given not only the interpretation of the dream, but he's given by God the dream itself. 
And, you know, this actually makes sense because God's the one who gave Nebuchadnezzar that dream. So, of course, God knows it. Even if it wasn't divine revelation, God would know everyone's dream. But in Daniel 2, verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. That's the the part of the dream. And then he goes on to explain um, in verse 32, the image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. So uh, Daniel now is uh, explaining the dream and soon he'll interpret the dream. In verse 38, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and has made thee ruler over them all. Thou, Daniel saying to the king, thou art this head of gold. The dream was about himself. The image that was in the dream, the great image, was King Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, men are always interested in things about themselves. Tell me more. Tell me more. And if you you have something concerning me, I want to know. And and so uh, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know the dream. And the one whom he typifies, Satan, the devil, the serpent, and the beast as is a name that God assigns to Satan at the time of the end of the world, when he's finally loosed, Satan has also that interest of things about himself. And and so this particular dream and interpretation relates to Satan. We're told in Revelation chapter 13 of the beast, that rises up out of the sea, whose deadly wound is healed because uh, Satan received a death blow at the time of the cross in 33 AD. And then 1955 years later, the whole 1955 year period, he was bound. But at the conclusion of his binding, the figurative thousand years in the year 1988, he was loose and now became known as the beast. And it's as though that death blow has gone away. So his deadly wound was healed. And in this chapter that describes his loosing, he comes against the camp of the saints, just like Nebuchadnezzar came against Judah. He overcomes them. And, and then he goes about to establish an image to the beast. In Revelation 13, I'll start in verse 13, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast 
that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And, and, and there we have the spiritual connection to what we're reading in Daniel 2, what we'll actually read in Daniel 2 and Daniel chapter 3, because in the next chapter, uh, it's no surprise, King Nebuchadnezzar commissions a statue to be built, an image of gold that um, certainly is a result of his dream, of the interpretation of his dream. Uh, he commissioned this image to be built to uh, really glorify himself because he was the subject of the dream. And just as historically the image was made and all the inhabitants of Babylon, including its captives, were commanded to bow down to the image and if you did not worship the image of the beast or the image of Nebuchadnezzar, you would be thrown into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, were, because they refused to bow down. But all that relates to the spiritual image of Satan that was established during the time of the end of the church, the time of the end of the world, during the Great Tribulation period. And it's interesting that that image was said to be able to speak and uh, cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And we've talked about that before. The image of the beast that Revelation 13 is describing is the corporate church itself. The the church made over after the image of Satan, because the Holy Spirit of God has left it, abandoned it, and Satan entered in, and the church became made now in his image, and the church has the ability to speak, doesn't it? Because it has pastors and elders and deacons, emissaries of Satan who stand in the pulpit and now proclaim lies. And and, and so they, they speak the language, not of the kingdom of heaven anymore. The language of the kingdom of heaven is truth. But they, they speak the language of the, the one in whose image they're made after, the father of lies. And that's the tragic and and just horrible spiritual condition of the churches of the world today that that they were made in the image of the beast and left in that image even after the Great Tribulation concluded. Well, that's why Satan would be desirous to look into these things because it's regarding an image to himself spiritually. And, and so he wants to know all about it. And, and, and again, in verse two of Daniel two, the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. 
He called these uh, people within his kingdom to, these were supposedly the wise of Babylon. Uh, This is the, the cream of the crop, as the expression goes. If he wanted to know anything in uh, a spiritual area, religious area, or or uh, you know matters that were not common, that that were out of the ordinary, then this is who he called. It, it seems to be typical with kings that they would have these types of men around, as we saw with Pharaoh, and. Let me, let me just go back and show that again in Genesis 41 in verse 8. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. The magicians and the wise men. And here we have added um astrologers and sorcerers they these are men who claim to know the stars and 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 could read tea leaves or uh, they had the lot or whatever it was that that they claimed to the king and and apparently kings held them in high esteem or or the societies of Egypt and Babylon held these kinds of men in high esteem. These are the knowledgeable ones. Remember, though, in the first chapter, uh, when um, Daniel and his friends had come before the king, it says in Daniel 1, verse 19, And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And so Nebuchadnezzar has already apparently had experience with the magicians and astrologers and and these others that stood before him. Um, he he wasn't impressed by them. Uh, he uh, knew that they had uh, limitations, and and uh, frankly, it appears that he knew that they didn't know much at all about the things they claimed to know. And you know that's interesting, because the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans are part of his kingdom. He is king over them. And we, we know that, that Satan is ruler over magicians and sorcerers and, and, and those that would, uh, tell horoscopes and, uh, in the world today and all false religions and false prophets and so forth. Satan is the ruler over them. And when these four groups come before King Nebuchadnezzar, again, magicians, one, astrologers, two, sorcerers, three, and Chaldeans, four, and the number four points to the furthest extent or universality of what's in view. In this case, it's all Babylon, all, and Babylon represents the world, all the world 
and their wisdom is uh, embodied in these four groups of men that stand before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar is a type of Satan that rules over the kingdom of the world and over these individuals. And yet he himself is not impressed with them because he knows their foolishness. He knows that they uh, are not truly knowledgeable of God and of spiritual things. Uh, he he knows that these are just men that are uh, bound in in spiritual chains of darkness. They they lack wisdom. They lack understanding because they are servants to him. These are men that specialize in deceit, in things that are not true, not faithful, not correct. But you see, this is King Nebuchadnezzar's problem, or Satan's problem, that he really wants to know the truth concerning this dream. He wants to know the actual faithful dream and interpretation. And and so when it comes to interpreting the dream that he had, that, that was divine revelation, he realizes that those within his kingdom are worthless. That they have no ability to tell him the dream, to interpret the dream. Remember later on, um, we, we read this when we read the entire passage, when he said in verse 8 to these men, the king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. How does he know that of a certainty that they would gain the time? How does he know that they have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before him? Well, the answer is obvious. He knows because that's what they do. That is what the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of this world of darkness is all about. And normally, that's what Satan wants. That's exactly what he wants them to be doing and and to be involved with. But now, this is a different matter because it involves himself. And, and he wants to know, what about this image? What about this image concerning this image of gold? And and it's something very personal to him. Uh, remember in 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. Uh, you know, Satan telling the sorcerers, astrologers, magicians, and Chaldeans that they have prepared lying, corrupt words sounds familiar, doesn't it? And it it reminded me of First Kings 22, when it says in verse 20, And Jehovah said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. 
And there came forth a spirit that stood before Jehovah and said, I will persuade him. And Jehovah said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. That Satan, the lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets, of false prophets. And that is typical. Uh, that That is exactly how he works. He comes as an angel of light. And his emissaries are um, transformed into apostles of Christ. But, but at this point, when King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he wants to know, desires to look into the matter, to know the dream and the interpretation, what good are lying apostles? What good are false prophets? Of, of what value are they? And, and, but Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're ten times better than sorcerers and magicians and astrologers and Chaldeans. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar knows and realizes. And, and later on, it'll be proven because when it comes to the things of God, you need the spirit of God and, and God's spirit works to grant understanding of dreams to his people. Well, um, let, let's take a look, a little closer look at these four groups. We will find them mentioned a few times in the book of Daniel, the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. And let's start with the magicians. The magicians, it, the, the word for magician is 2748 in the Hebrew, in Strong's Concordance. 2748, it comes from, or it's related to, 2747, the, the Hebrew word 2747, which is translated as a graving tool or a pen. Uh, for instance, in Exodus 32, in verse 3 and 4, And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now I think that's significant, that the word graving tool, which is the tool used to form an idol, a false god, is the related word to the word magician. And, and I think it tells us all we need to know about magicians. Uh, you know, today, all kinds of evil things have gotten a pretty good name in the world. And magic, oh, it's so special. It's thrilling. People love magic shows and magicians. And yet there's not a positive word spoken about it in the Bible. And, uh, well, we, we read Genesis where the magicians were, were around in that day too. And 
in the days of Joseph, well, when, let's see, when Pharaoh had his dream, it would have been um, right around the year 1886 or so B.C., um, almost 2,000 years before Christ, about 4,000 years roughly from our time, and magicians were still active at that time, or, or were active then, and they're still active today. Um, remember when God brought the plagues upon Egypt? Well, the, the first few involved the magicians doing the same work that God did. In Exodus 7, verse 10, And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as Jehovah commanded, and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as Jehovah had said. And, and we see that the magicians are in their magic, trying to match what God has done. The, the true gospel in this case was the rod given to Aaron and Moses and, and that serpent. The false gospel was the serpent that the magicians conjured up, or however they did it with their trick, and that acted as a false gospel to harden Pharaoh's heart. It, it was a false truth. They were lying. They were saying, we are like God. We have the power of God. We can match it. What God does, we can do. And and it was nothing but a cheap magician's trick. In Exodus chapter 8, in verse 5, And Jehovah spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Now, I said it's a cheap magician's trick, and maybe not. We know Satan has some little ability to break the barrier of the supernatural. For instance, falling over backwards uh, can be an actual act of Satan breaking the barrier of the supernatural, or even someone speaking in tongues. It's not from God, but that could be a just a, a little magician's trick of that God permits in the sense of breaking the barrier of the supernatural. And it could be in time past that Satan worked through these magicians and sorcerers to do these little bits of of black magic and maybe god permitted that but of course we know they have severe limitations in verse 16 of exodus 8 it says and jehovah said unto moses say unto aaron stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of egypt and they did so for aaron stretched out his hand with his rod 
and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt, and the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. And and there we see their limitation. God permitted Satan to do minor actions in the spiritual realm, breaking that barrier of the supernatural. Uh, Yeah, you you can maybe make some noises in a haunted house, but nothing major, nothing of real significance. They could not make lice to appear. Well, we'll continue looking at each of these four groups, the sorcerers, astrologers, Chaldeans, and magicians, uh, Lord willing, in our next Bible study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.